0: Today on Blue58, the Packers have historically not cared all that much about inside linebackers, and that doesn't appear all that different in 2020. But Mike Pettin can't just play nobody at that spot, right? Right? Let's discuss the linebacker group and how it could affect the Packers' defense this year. But first, let's take a second to discuss those media requirements the Packers doled out this week. Blue58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue58, the one and only podcast from ThePowerSweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink, happy to be with you here for another episode. Beautiful day here in Northwest Ohio. Cicadas are out, cooling down. You can tell fall is on the way. And I'm happy to be talking Packers here with you, free from media restrictions. That's kind of been the story this week out of Packers training camp. uh, Brian Gutekunst initiating and then defending new media guidelines for what the Packers beat, can, and cannot report. Technically, this is not just the Packers rule. It's really the NFL's rule, and the Packers are just enforcing it. But here's what they say, courtesy PackersNews.com, an email from Brian Gutekunst read as follows, quote, moving forward, media is no longer permitted to mention who's getting reps, with the first team, second team, third team, etc., nor who is being used in certain packages or if players are rotating among positions. It is permissible to comment on play results, player performances, but you must avoid all projections on the depth chart and personnel packages." Here is what the actual NFL rules for this pandemic-related training camp actually say, and I won't read this entire thing, but there are a lot of rules here. Um, it all falls on the heading under the heading media coverage for training camp to provide fans with coverage of clubs preparations for the 2020 season. The following regulations have been developed for media coverage of the 2020 camp and most of this is related to a pool report pool reporting is when you just send one reporter to kind of represent a bunch of players or a bunch of people from the media. Uh, rather than sending a whole horde of people in at once. And it, there's varying degrees of interpretation of that, apparently, among NFL camps. Packers are basically holding their same press conferences that they always do, except doing it by web conference, but here is what the NFL rules limit. No reference to game strategy or specific plays run. No reporting of which players are practicing with individual units. No blogging, texting, tweeting, or reporting of any kind is permitted from practice, including comments overheard between players, coaches, and staff while on site. The pool report may note which players are practicing as well as those who are not. The pool report may include non-strategy and non-game plan observations. Clubs and media must abide by the privacy and confidentiality agreement obligations related to COVID-19 as related in the screening and testing protocol. and quote. Now, on its face, I think that's pretty stupid. I tweeted out the other day when these rules first came out, this take on the rule situation, and this is basically what I, I still believe. If your team was bad enough to be put at a competitive disadvantage by a reporter's tweets, just cancel your practice anyway, because it wasn't going to help you. The idea that there is a competitive advantage being gained by knowing who is in what packages at this point in the season is just absurd. It's going to change so quickly, and it doesn't really matter how much you're locking down stuff anyway. We have a perfect example of this from recent Packers history. I will ask you to cast your mind all the way back to the pre pre preseason of the 2014 Packers season. The Packers were set to open up on the road at Seattle, and during every part of training camp practice. The defense spent some time working in the Don Hudson Center away from the eyes of reporters. Reporters could not say anything at all because they did not know what was going on. But we got to week one and what had happened. The Packers were going to roll out a 4-3 defense. This is going to change everything. Here comes the 4-3 Packers. Well, it didn't because the Seahawks figured it out almost immediately. And they said, well, we know how to attack a 4-3 defense. And they went about and just handled the Packers pretty well. How is that different from knowing who's in what package in what situation? Limiting those things is is just silly. And I think it sets a bad precedent because I don't think we're going to see 100% of the genie go back into the bottle here. At some point, this pandemic is going to be over. How confident are you that we're going to go back all the way to the way things were, with people reporting from practice. Brian Gutekunst says this is a short-term thing. His actual quote was, I think from a competitive advantage viewpoint, it was the right thing to do for the short term. And quote. If that's the case, I'd like to see him put his money where his mouth is. Put an end date on this. When are these restrictions going to end? September 1st? October 1st? Put a date on it. If it's for the short term, when is the short term over? Because at that point of the season, say just for example, October 1st, we're a month into the regular season." Everybody should know pretty much what you do in terms of personnel usage, right? What are you really going to surprise on anybody? Just put a date on it. If it's really for the short term, say when it's going to end. The second real big problem with this is that from a league perspective, these rules appear to be really inconsistently enforced. It varies team by team. And that's why people, I think, had the perception that this was the Packers doing something new and different and beyond the pale. It's not really... It's just that the Packers are interpreting it in a more aggressive light than other teams around the league. Here's a quote, again, from the Packers' news story that contained that uh, actual description from Brian Gutekunst. In his story in The Athletic about the New Orleans Saints, it identified former Wisconsin linebacker Zach Bond receiving snaps of the first team and defensive back P.J. Williams lining up at safety and corner. In the Detroit Free Press, it was reported that Lions first-round pick Jeff Okuda was working with the second team. On the San Francisco 49ers' own website, it was reported that cornerback Jamar Taylor had been seeing first-team snaps with Kawan Williams out with a calf injury, and that cornerback Jason Verrett saw first-team snaps opposite Richard Sherman. The Minnesota Vikings website revealed that new starting offensive line—it's new starting offensive line— and reported that two players were rotating at left guard. In addition, the Vikings are one of several teams, including the Seattle Seahawks and Philadelphia Eagles, who live stream parts of their practices. Now, this is an entirely different version of problematic here because now you're seeing NFL teams themselves butt into the media landscape here and decide that they want to control all of the information, and presumably they would not be beholden to the same rules that non-team media outlets must follow. And that seems like a bad precedent, but that's not the point I want to get to here. I really just want to say that this is dumb on all fronts. It's dumb on the NFL for having needlessly harsh rules, but it's very on-brand for the NFL to say, here's something that fans like, let's see how we can make it worse. It's dumb on the Packers for enforcing them. The Packers do not have to go along with this. They could just decide to be like one of those many other teams and be more... Loose in their interpretation of what's allowed. But it's also bad here for the reporters to go along with these rules. If the entire Packers beat decided together that, no, we're just not going to do this, what are, are the Packers going to do? Are they going to be the team out of 32 in the NFL that just decredentials all of their reporters? It put the Packers in a real bind because they want coverage of their team. It's good for them, and they have agreements with a lot of these outlets. The Packers beat reporters should dare the Packers to enforce the rules, especially people who come from bigger outlets, maybe the biggest outlets, maybe an outlet that has an agreement of some kind with the NFL, some sort of agreement in which they pay a boatload of money to televise NFL games cough Rob Domovsky, Kof ESPN, I'm talking about you guys. ESPN, you should be pounding the table here to get this change for your reporters on the ground and therefore your fans, your the, the people you want to watch your content. That's who can really change this. It's just a dumb situation and everybody is dumb here. It looks bad for everybody and ultimately the fans are the ones that are hurt. I will never believe, you will never convince me that there is any sort of competitive advantage for reporters tweeting from practice, saying that the Packers are rotating Lane Taylor with Billy Turner and Rick Wagner on the right side of the offensive line. Would have taken you two minutes of Googling to figure that out. Billy Turner said in his little press conference deal after practice that he was rotating at right guard and right tackle, and that the Packers had approached him with that very intention in mind when they signed him more than a year ago. It's common knowledge already anybody who's scouting the Packers knew that was a possibility. Come on, we can do better than this. On some more positive news, got a really small nugget from Mark, Mike Garofalo of NFL Network. When David Bakhtiari came up blame in practice yesterday, uh, he reported that the Packers have been working somewhat lightly, kind of implied, Uh, to get a deal done with David Bakhtiari before the start of the season. There had been no real previous indication that the two sides were working on a deal, but I suppose it makes sense now that Kenny Clark is out of the way. He's probably the next priority. Yes, even ahead of Aaron Jones. It'd be a surprise, I think, if the Packers did get a deal done with Bakhtiari before the start of the season. But hey, weird times. Anything can happen, and I'm sure the Packers wouldn't mind getting something done because if they don't get something done and David Bakhtiari has a really solid season. You have to imagine the price only goes up. Not super worried about David Bakhtiari going anywhere. He is the older of the two real big contenders for extensions among Packers' potential free agents, but uh, between him and Kenny Clark, they've got Kenny Clark done, so he would seem to be the next in line. Let's talk about linebackers. The Packers, like we said in the intro to today's episode, have historically not cared all that much for their inside linebackers. They've not devoted a lot of resources to them. They've not spent a lot of time in free agency talking with anybody uh, resembling a contender uh, for a big-time contract at inside linebacker. It's basically just been whoever they can find in the middle rounds and for cheap free agent deals. Well, this offseason... They saw Blake Martinez, one of their former late to mid-round picks, depart. B.J. Goodson, who they traded a late pick for, also went the way of Blake Martinez. And so the Packers are left with their 2020 acquisitions. A low-end free agent in Christian Kirksey and a mid-round draft pick in Kamal Martin. So the Packers really are looking at some guys who are going to be basically role player caliber here. But to play on that word a little bit, the Packers are also looking to fill some specific roles with their linebackers. I think they have three roles to fill here. First, the Blake Martinez role. Second, the B.J. Goodson role. And third, the role of 2019 Oren Burks, maybe even more accurate to the 2018 Oren Burks. What are those archetypes? What is the Blake Martinez role? I think he's commonly understood as something as an iron man on defense. He's on the field all the time. Like his contributions or not, this is where a lot of his real value lies. Blake Martinez is just always out there on the field. and You can always count on him. He's a known commodity. You know exactly what you're going to get out of Blake Martinez. And again, like his contributions or not, that is valuable if you're going to be on a scale of one to 10, a seven, you're going to be a seven for a thousand plays every year, year after year after year. There's some value to that. You can build around that. And I think that's something that the Packers defense may miss here. But a lesser known role or a lesser known way or lesser recognized way of characterizing Blake Martinez is the solo linebacker did a little quick and dirty research here. And the the data on this is not super precise. So I wouldn't put a ton of stock on the exact numbers here. But the NFL's charting service, internal charting service, NFL Game Stats and Information, charted 1,001 snaps for the Packers from scrimmage. That does not include plays that were called back or plays that were nullified for other reasons. But of those 1,001 Blake Martinez was the only linebacker on the field for the Packers in 744 of them. Almost 75% of the time, Blake Martinez was the only linebacker on the field. That is a huge deal for the Packers' defense. Mike Pettin's true base defense is really two defensive linemen, three edge rushers, one linebacker, and five defensive backs. A nickel base. Pretty much just as often, he has just one traditional down lineman, three edges, one linebacker, and six defensive backs. You can also swap out that defensive or that linebacker for another defensive back, usually a safety, and go with a 7 dB look. Mike Penton likes his light packages. Blake Martinez filled that role for the Packers admirably, and you have to be a pretty good player to be able to do that. I've probably undersold Blake Martinez in the past because now that he's gone, the Packers obviously have a very big role to fill. So that's one role the Packers need to fill this year. The second role is the B.J. Goodson role, the sidekick, the thumper, the hired muscle, the guy who's bigger and slower and pretty much just in there for run defense. Antonio Morrison did that role in 2018. B.J. Goodson did it in 2019. Goodson only played about 250 snaps last year. 254, the exact figure. Not a big role, but an important one. He was a key player in at least one goal line stop last year. Assignment sure. He's not going to get there fast, but when he gets there, he's going to hit you hard. All right. Third role is the 2019, maybe 2018, Oren Burks role. Call this microwavable athleticism. You need a little extra juice out there, but don't want to go quite as small as the defensive back. You put somebody out there who's like Oren Burks. He's not going to play a lot. Oren Burks only played like 87 snaps last year. But it's a good role to have out there, a good role to have a depend, dependable player in. So if the Packers need to fill those three roles, how do they do it? Well, ideally, I think Christian Kirk, Kirksey slides directly into Blake Martinez's role, plays 900 to 1,000 snaps, and is just kind of your reliable solo linebacker. Oren Burks, slides in as a more athletic upgrade to B.J. Goodson. Maybe Kamal Martin does that, but at the very least, Kamal Martin's and Ty Summers drop in as needed, playing that sort of third linebacker, hey, we're going to use you as a spot player sort of role. That's That'd be a good fit for Kamal Martin in year one. Maybe as the season goes on, he takes over a little bit more for Burks, or maybe they rotate a little bit. Maybe, hey, maybe Mike Patton starts to play two linebackers a little bit more. Get really crazy. My sense is, is that that final role, that 2019 Oren Burks, the microwavable athleticism role, is going to be mostly safeties this year. As the season went on, I think you saw more of that from Pettin. I think there's also a pretty good chance that the Packers do try to replace B.J. Goodson's role with a safety more often than not, too. So you'll have a linebacker and maybe a bigger safety in there until someone like Kamal Martin or Ty Summers, or heck, maybe even Curtis Bolton can come along to a point that you're confident with them. Is that a realistic plan? I don't know. I need to see it first. I think this is a tough one to project this year because of who the Packers are relying on. Christian Kirksey really hasn't played that much since 2017. Kamal Martin's a rookie. Oren Burks, well, you know the story there. And beyond that, it's Ty Summers, who was on the roster all year last year but didn't get on the field on defense at all, and Curtis Bolton, who missed all of last year with a knee injury. So Let's break down each of those guys individually. Starting with Christian Kirksey, again, really not sure what we're getting here. And I know that's just a galaxy brain take. Yeah, obviously, we don't know what we're getting here. It's been a while since he's played super regularly. Good starting point to figure out what you're exactly are getting in Christian Kirksey is pro football references approximate value figure. They just try to put a round number, a single number based on your performance and your team's performance. It's kind of your contribution to the overall team performance. If your team didn't perform as well, the ceiling goes down a little bit on what your approximate value could be. I think that kind of makes sense. Why should you get a ton of credit if you had a good season on a really, really bad defense? It really didn't meant your performance didn't mean all that much. Anyway, he had an approximate value of seven in 2016 and 2017. Looking back over the past 20 years, a seven is not quite as good as a typical A.J. Hawk season. Now, A.J. Hawk probably played on better defenses on average than Christian Kirksey did in Cleveland, but by and large, I think that's about the ballpark of what you're going to get. Pretty good athlete, not going to make a ton of splash plays, but probably a few more than Blake Martinez. Looking a little bit deeper, we can turn to Sports information solutions points saved stat. So I don't know how familiar you may or may not be with uh, EPA, but that's expected points added. Points saved is how many, how much EPA you have saved for your defense. How much EPA did you prevent the opposing team from getting? Don't want to get too bogged down of it in it, but he had a point saved figure of 39 in 2017, his last full season. For comparison's sake. Blake Martinez had numbers of 22, 33, and 24 in 2019, 18, and 17, respectively. It sounds like, at his best, Christian Kirksey was doing a little bit more for his defense than Blake Martinez was. The big stat that you saw going around with Blake Martinez last year was depth of tackle. How far beyond the line of scrimmage was he making his play? On average, Christian Kirksey's depth of tackle happens about close or a half a yard closer to the line of scrimmage than Blake martinez in his best season every time he's making a tackle on average he's saving you half a yard 18 inches all that's a lot of numbers the real question is can christian kirksey stay stay healthy again that's not a surprise that's what that's been the knock on him that's why he was a free agent at all but if he can stay healthy i think there's a pretty good chance the packers have upgraded here And I think there's a pretty good chance that they've got a good guy who can fill that solo linebacker role. Can he stay healthy? Who knows? Oren Burks, I honestly don't know what to expect here. and Not because he doesn't have physical ability. The bar just couldn't be lower given what we've seen from him in his first two seasons so far. He got the nice big glowing feature treatment from Rob Domovsky not too long ago. The best shape of his life type stuff. Great man. Awesome. Good for you. Mike Petton didn't seem to care last year. I know you were banged up, and I know that injury seems to have really limited you, but he could not find a way to get you on the field, and by the end of the season, it seems like he gave up trying. Kamal Martin, barring an injury to Christian Kirksey, Whatever they get from Martin is probably gravy this year. If Christian Kirksey stays healthy, I don't think we see just a ton of Kamal Martin. He's probably going to be in that sidekick, that B.J. Goodson type role anyway, and he seems like he'll probably be an athletic upgrade to Goodson, a guy you don't have to take off the field on passing downs, but if Kirksey is healthy, you probably won't see a ton of him anyway. Ty Summers is a nice player to have around this year because there's no downside to keeping him around. If he he gets onto your defense and contributes, that's great. If he doesn't, fine, whatever. You got other guys that you can plug in there. They've got options, if nothing else. He's also a pretty good special teams player, led the team with 311 special team snaps last year. He led the NFL in tackles last preseason for whatever that is worth, which is absolutely nothing, but it's a data point you got on him. Curtis Bolton is the absolute wildest of wild cards for the Packers. I was convinced last year he was going to make the team over Ty Summers before he tore up his knee. That's a real bummer and it probably will affect, it it could end up fec- affecting his entire NFL career. And that that is a real bummer of a situation because it seems for all the world like he was on his way to being something special for the Packers last year. And it just all came apart there right at the end. Finally, Chris Barnes, unless I'm overlooking or forgetting somebody on the Packers roster, he is the only undrafted free agent among the Packers off-the-ball linebackers this year. And I'm just asking you to do the math on this. Chris Burns might be a fine player, but the Packers just do not value inside linebackers. The Packers already only added a low-level free agent in a fifth-round pick and then Barnes. They've carried over everybody else from last year that they had. They let walk their best inside linebacker in a while. You like his chances to make the roster and be a big contributor this year? just seems like there's probably not a super great chance of that happening. The roles are what matter here, though. That's how we should be thinking about this linebacker group. The Packers need a guy who's going to play 7-800 snaps as the only linebacker on the field for the defense this year, unless Mike Patton goes really 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 light on a super consistent basis who is that going to be the the smart money early on is on christian kirksey just because of who he is as a player what we've seen from him before but it's wide open it could be anybody and the packers historically have not put a lot of resources into that position and they're trying the same thing again this year what do you think about the inside linebacker group agree disagree let me know. Facebook, Twitter, email, you know how to get a hold of the show. Whatever your thoughts are, do it, and we will keep this conversation going around linebackers, around the Packers, around the team in general, because that is how we are going to raise the game of everybody talking around the Packers. That's how we're all going to continue to become smarter Packers fans, because as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We will see you next time on Blue 58.